0: You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Tremendous time. My wife Carla and I got to be a part of that. We were invited to be there along with a lot of the lead pastors throughout the nation, and I felt extremely old. (laughs) Um, But it was also amazing just to be a part of what God is doing, uh, as we've already heard, over 2,000 plus students from campuses all over North America, uh, Canada, then all the way down to the Virgin Islands, where we saw some of the students we got to see earlier this year on a mission trip, and then campuses as far northwest as Oregon, uh, all the way down to the campuses in Florida it was just an amazing amazing time and so a great way to kick off a new year and a happy new year to those of you who are here this morning and then also watching online this is our first gathered service of 2023 last week we were just online and I was grateful for that as well as the staff and probably a lot of the volunteers but here we are today and I am believing God that this year is going to be our best year ever Amen. Our best year yet. And I'm going to talk about that because that's actually possible when our lives are devoted to Jesus Christ. But speaking of something that's going to be coming up this week that we've already mentioned, but I want to highlight is we're going to be joining with our brothers and sisters in our Every Nation families of churches all over the world. They're going to be joining with us in this week of a time of prayer, fasting, and consecration. Why do you need to pray? Because you're going to fast. And when you're fasting, you pray a lot so that you can actually keep fasting. Uh, and then consecration, what does that mean? That we would set ourselves apart for God, that we would say, God, this year I am consecrating myself unto you in 2023, and then you can begin to spend time every day in prayer with one another. You can, uh, I actually have one of these, I don't think we have any of these, I picked this up at the conference, but you can follow along on a version plan, you just search miracles, or you can actually download an Every Nation app, but it is called Miracles, Let Him Be Known. All the way from January 9th to January 13th. You can see that. If you use your version, you could go to Search Miracles. There's a bunch there, but that's what it looks like. Or download the Every Nation app. Every morning, there's usually a video. There's a a devotion. And then we're also going to be joining together in prayer. As you've already heard, we're going to break that fast. Break fast, that's where it comes from, right? We're going to break that fast next Sunday night with a fundraiser for our students going on mission to Memphis during spring break and a time of worship. So I'm excited about this. If you've never fasted before, then you can look inside the app or, or whatever it is, it'll show you some ways to start and maybe it's, I'm going to give up this or I'm going to do one meal on this day and then we am going to do just water on this day. It'll help you, it'll encourage you. But I'm encouraging you today that if you want things to be different in your life and if you want things to be different in the body of Christ then we have to do things differently than maybe we've done them before and we have to do things according to God's Word and part of that is that we spend time in prayer that we also fast and we consecrate ourselves unto him. So the theme for this whole thing this week and this series for the next month is miracles. Let him be known. This is what we're gonna be looking at over the next few weeks, as well as focusing on the miracles found in the book of John that recounts the signs and the miracles that point people to faith in Jesus Christ, which is the primary purpose for the miracles that God works. The Holy Spirit begins to, yes, bless people through signs and wonders, but he also is doing this so that the kingdom of God, this is the main purpose, so that the kingdom of God will advance in the earth, that he would be made known through his miraculous power. So if I were to ask for a show of hands in here this morning, Of those of you in this room or maybe watching online that need a miracle right now, I'd be shocked if not almost everybody raised their hand and said, I need God to come through in a way that I cannot, that I'm powerless to do so, but I know God is all-powerful and anything that's impossible with me is still possible with him. I'd be shocked if all of us weren't raising our hands and say, this is an area of my life where I need a breakthrough. I know some of your situations, I've spoken with many of you, I've actually emailed with some people even this week about some things that are going on in their lives and going on in their families' lives where they need God's miraculous power to break through, to providentially step into their circumstances and do something that only God can do. Just this past week, it seemed like the whole nation was praying for a miracle for a young man that almost died on the football field. I don't know if you were aware of that and saw this 24-year-old man Damar, who was hit and then collapsed on the field, his heart stopped beating, and it was like all of a sudden the whole world was praying and crying out to God, save this young man's life, we need a miracle. Worldwide, all we have to do is open up an app or look at the news and we see that there's need for the miraculous power of God to intervene into the lives of human beings all over. Because here's the deal, in 2023, today, this week, this year, we're believing God to do miraculous things, to do miracles that will testify of his power and create new opportunities for the gospel to advance in the earth today and for the kingdom of God to expand, amen? Amen. This is the only hope that we have for this world is that Jesus would be glorified. This is the ultimate purpose of God's miracles among us in the first place is to reveal the glory of the Son of God, to advance the kingdom of God, and then secondarily, yes, to bless people that he loves. There's one problem that I see, though. It's hard to bless people and to reveal the glory of God when we think everything is miraculous. I think we've really watered down the word miracle, right? We've watered down the word miracle. We, we've, we've called everything a miracle, at least biblically the way a miracle is de- uh, defined. We have signed miracle to actions that are not really miraculous at all. Like everything from like potty training. Like It's a miracle. He went to the bathroom. No, you, you did a good job parenting. Or else they, they just had to go and they finally figured it out we'll assign it to that, or, or, or like, man, it's a miracle that you showed up on time. No, you actually left early, and prepared, and planned. That's not a miracle, it's called planning. Or, or, or we could do all kinds of sports, man, it's a miracle that he caught that pass, it's a miracle that we won that game. It's a miracle. We assign the word, and we water down, biblically, the way the Bible defines a miracle like even sports outcomes are miraculous. The year was 1980, I was 10 years old, and the Winter Olympics were being held in Lake Placid, New York. And all of a sudden, in these Olympic games, the most famous international hockey game really of all time was being played on the world stage. It was a medal round game, not even the gold medal round game at this point, it was just a, a medal, or moving to the medal round, if you will. And it was a game between the then Soviet Union and the United States of America. And to know why the U.S. was just a, a massive underdog, if you will, not even given a chance to win, all you had to do was look at the last exhibition game between the Soviet Union and the U.S. right before the Olympics started, where the Soviet Union beat the U.S. team 10-3 to 3 in hockey. That sounds more like a, a football score, and it was a hockey score. The US team was made up of a bunch of college students and amateurs, as a matter of fact, the youngest team in national hockey history. And on the other side of the ice was the Soviet Union who were basically professionals, older, lived together, played together, practiced at least three more times than most any other nation probably could or would. And then on February 22nd, they played and as the score was winding down and the U.S. finally scored a fourth goal to take a 4-3 lead with seconds left on the clock, a young Al Michaels called out, do you believe in miracles? Yes! And the clock went to zero and the U.S. won. The game was made into a movie known as The Miracle on Ice. But was it a miracle in biblical terms? Did it reveal the glory of God, the glory of the Son of God? Did anybody get saved? I don't know, maybe somebody did. But did anybody give their life to Jesus because of the miracle on ice? So I wanna look at how the Bible describes miracles, what a miracle is meant for, what it's meant for in our lives today. So we're gonna rewind about 2,000 years and go to the town of Cana, if you will, and look at the first miracle Jesus performed And I want to read from our text this morning, so if you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 2. That's where we're going to be throughout this series. Our text for today is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and I'm going to read the whole story without commenting, and then we're going to go back and unpack it as we look at God's purposes for the miraculous, both then and then when it can mean for us today right now. So let's read from John, as I said, chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding. It took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why are you telling me about this? Jesus replied. The time for me to show who I really am isn't here yet. His mother said to the servants, do what he tells you. Six stone water jars stood nearby. The Jews used water from that kind of jar for special washings. They did that to make themselves pure and clean. Each jar could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the top. Then he told them, now dip some out. Take it to the person in charge of the dinner. They did what he said. The person in charge tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, but the servants who had brought the water knew. Then the person in charge called the groom to one side. He said to him, everyone brings out the best wine first. They bring out the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana in Galilee was the first of his signs. Jesus showed his glory by doing this sign and his disciples believed in him. Lord, we pray that you would take your word today. You would plant it deeply into our hearts that we would apply it to our lives so that we can live in a way that honors you. This became known as the miracle of fermentation and transformation. I'm just kidding, it's not known like that. That that, that was a joke, wake up, it's a new year, you're still sleeping. There, There was no name for this, it's just, you know, the miracle in Cana, in Galilee. But seriously, if I have the power to do miracles, this doesn't seem like the best one to start with. Like, I'm gonna impress some people with the, the first miracle that I do. This doesn't kind of get to the top of the list. It doesn't seem dire. It doesn't seem desperate. I mean, even if I'm asking for, asking for a miracle, it, this wouldn't be it. Hey, hey, God, could you, could you make the open bar last a little longer at the wedding? We ran out of money. Though I'm being a bit contextually facetious, I think as miracles go, if we're honest, we kind of skip over this one. This is the first one Jesus performed. This is kind of the first miracle that he does in the book of John and we skip over it because it just doesn't seem that big of a deal. But that's just it i think that's part of it really it wasn't that big of a deal it wasn't time for the world to see all that christ had come to do he even says so even jesus even jesus ministry listen if you're looking for god to do something big in your life and you're saying well this is just kind of small the bible talks about small beginnings even jesus ministry had a small humble beginning look at it he if he, he's just him and his mom and at this point there's only three disciples It's not a whole bunch of people. They're at a small wedding in a small town, no big deal. But what we see is this story is not just about a miracle, but also about what God does in the hearts of those where the miracle takes place. I don't know what you're facing down right now. I don't know why you showed up at church today. But I do know this, that God still does the miraculous in our lives. And maybe you have some things in your life right now that you've got no power to change, you've got no power to affect, maybe you've tried all that you know to do and everything has ended up failing, but whatever you're up against, it could be financial, it could be relational, it could be physical, it could be at school, it could be at work, it could be at your home, but what you're up against, here's what you know, it's a problem, it's a big problem. And I want you to see in this story this morning that Jesus' first public miracle is here to encourage us about things that come into our lives that are problems. And that our greatest problems can produce an opening in our hearts for a deepening faith. That our problems can become a passageway to more powerful faith. Well, here's the problem. We just want to avoid problems. Jesus Jesus is saying, that's okay, this problem can be a passageway, it can produce an opening in your heart for me to deepen your faith. Back to our story, verse 2 says that on the third day, can you say third day? Third day, that was pretty good but not so good. There's a lot of amazing things that happens in the life of Jesus' ministry on the third day, and not to get too much or read too much into that, it's really just clarifying that this is early in Jesus' ministry. There's like three disciples with him, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel had just been called, so it's early on in his ministry, he's with these few disciples, and he's with his mom at this wedding. They got invited to a wedding, so they went. Then the problem occurs. Have you ever noticed how problems come at the most inopportune times? Is there ever an opportune time for a problem? Not that I'm aware of. And they're having a wedding and they're celebrating and there's a problem, they run out of wine. As I said, however, this problem doesn't seem like a real biblical problem. Like it doesn't, it seems odd that it is a biblical problem. Like this is a problem for the world. This is a problem for the club. This is a problem for the house party. But this isn't a problem for Jesus to fix. Like, shouldn't Jesus be turning wine into water and telling everybody to go home? (laughs) Down here in the South, I mean, that's exactly what we've said. Yeah, absolutely. But now, contextually, we don't fully understand why this is calling for a miracle, but in this culture, it would have been a major embarrassment to the family that's hosting the wedding. Wedding in those days would typically last for a week and guests would show up day after day to the wedding and they would obviously show up after traveling and they would be hungry and thirsty and so there would need to be wine and food there for this wedding. So it would have been something that the host would have had available to all of his guests and if it wouldn't, it would be disastrous. One commentator said it would have been a social catastrophe. And all we can figure out is that maybe Mary was good friends with the family they were small town, you know, it's like Mary was good friends and she didn't want her friends to be embarrassed. And so she knows somebody that could fix this whole problem, make it go away. And so she goes to Jesus and she asked him to intervene. Verse three, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why are you telling me about this? Jesus replied, the time for me to show who I really am isn't here yet. Now in many translations, I used a different one because I wanted to because a lot of your translations, if you're reading it, whether it's NIV or ESV or NASV or whatever, usually just say woman. Woman, why are you bothering me with this? And we read it with that tone. Problem is in the Greek word, there is no negative context to the word woman. So it just doesn't translate well into our English context where we could say that word like woman and it has some sort of demeaning context. Not so in the Greek language, not so in what Jesus is saying. He says woman and that should be like dear woman, that's why I used the version that I did, with care and, and an endearing term. Literally asking, what do we have in common? That's really what he's asking. Or what does your concern have to do with me? It's the same thing that the demons asked Jesus when he showed up. And they're, they're basically saying, why were you interacting with us, Jesus? What do you have to do with us? And here's what's going on here. Jesus is pointing out that he does only what the heavenly father tells him to do. He's guided by the Father, not the agenda of anybody else, any other human agenda that there is, not even his own mother. The chasm between the holiness of God and the purposes of God and our plans is uncrossable outside of hearing the voice of the Father. And he's saying, listen, the only voice that I listen to is the Father. I do whatever he says to do. So what does your worldly plans have to do with God's holy plans? That's really a question we should always be asking. He's just saying, hey, what what does this have to do with what God is doing? So then he says, the time which is literally the Greek word aura, which means the hour has not come yet. The hour for him to be crucified, the hour for him to be resurrected has not yet come. It's a somewhat cryptic saying that is revealing everything and nothing at the same time. Why? Because for those of us today, it reveals everything, because we have hindsight, so we understand that even the signs in Galilee, knowing what Jesus has already done, knowing what has happened in history, he's saying that all of his ministry, even this sign, are to be understood as done under the shadow of the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. We know that. Mary and his disciples don't know that yet. But he was defining that his timing is always perfect. Aren't you glad for that? He's defining that his timing is always perfect. And the timing for him to be revealed as the son of God was not yet right. To reveal his glory in full. That's all he's saying. So I love what Mary does next. She says in verse 5 in this translation, do what he tells you. The last recorded words we have of Mary... The mother of Jesus, who we begin to read about all throughout the Gospels, is listen to him and whatever he says, do it. Listen, the best thing that any of us can do, especially when you need a miracle, is to do what Jesus tells us to do. Is to listen to him and obey him. Verse 6, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Do we have that passage of Scripture? Okay, just checking. I don't see it. That would be verse 6 and verse 7 of the chapter that we're in, John chapter 2. There we go. All I keep thinking as I read this passage of Scripture is, that's a lot of wine. I just do the math. It's not hard math. Six times whatever that is, what, 20? Six times 30? That's a lot of gallons of wine. But there's so much here than the amount and the extravagance that, that Jesus pours out in this situation. I love how Jesus instructs his servants to do something, and then they just do it. But they do a little bit more. It's like he says, just go fill the jars, and then it says, they, in some translations, they filled them to the brim. It's kind of like you think a little bit of cologne smells good, so then you put too much on, right? <laughs> well, I mean, if a little smells good, then... Pff, 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 pff. <laughs> it could be anything, chocolate, peanut butter. I mean, a little bit of peanut butter in here is, tastes good. Let's just put the whole jar. Yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> like... They, they, But here's what we do see in this. We see some extreme obedience. Jesus says do something, then they do it with extreme obedience. I think so many times Jesus says do something and we don't, if we do it, we kind of do it like sticking our toe in. We don't go forward with our head first and and fully in. It's like when Peter was talking to Jesus and and Peter goes, look, I don't want you to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to have any part of me. And then Peter's like, well, they're not just my feet. They're my head and my hands. Just do everything. And so many times Jesus is instructing us to do something and we're like, no, I don't think so. Instead, we should be going, let me do this and a little bit more. Because I trust you, God. Where is Jesus leading you by his spirit today? Where is he leading you in 2023? With with confirmation of his word and within the context of your biblical community called the church, how are you doing all that Jesus has asked of you? Don't just do it. Do it with passion. Do it with extreme obedience. Don't just get by. Fill it up to the brim. Don't just pray and fast one day. Do it for a whole week. And don't miss the gospel the miracle presents here because Jesus' miracles in John are always signifying something more than the miracle itself. And in this case, you have these stone jars holding ceremonial washing water for purification. This is not what you put wine in. You put wine in, in, a, in a jar that breathes, not a stone jar. Something done, here's what this, these stone jars represent, something done externally to try to deal with something internally. Like we're going to wash ourselves ceremonially ceremonially to purify ourselves. And here's what we see. We see these stone jars of the old wine of Jewish legalism that we're gonna do something ceremonially on the outside to do something on the inside. And Jesus is now replacing it, taking a heart of stone and pouring in the new wine of the new order, of the new ways that he's going to do things when he takes a heart of stone and he turns it into a heart of flesh so that he can pour the new wine of his spirit into it. And I'm so glad that I don't have to do something externally to purify me internally but the jesus who is the new wine does something internally that changes my life externally See, a sign is something that is revelatory because this is what this is. It's a sign, the water into wine. It's revelatory. It discloses something from God, something that was maybe hidden before. And these signs are not merely acts of power to show off. They unveil that God is at work in Jesus and that he he is present in him. They reveal the glory of Jesus and they move people, in this case, disciples, to put their faith in him, their faith in Jesus, their faith in the Father, Then it says in verse nine or verse eight, we see Jesus commanding them to draw water out and give it to the head waiter. The interesting part here is that only the servants and the disciples with Jesus really knew what was going on. And Mary, that's it. Nobody else knows what's going on. The rest of the wedding party doesn't know that Jesus miraculously saved the day. They're just going on and partying. They're just going on and enjoying themselves. Then it says in verse nine and 10, we'll read it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, taste buds are all done, <laughs> then they put the poor wine out. But you have kept the good wine until now. In modern terms, the caterer says, hold up. Hold up, wait a minute. This is the time that we bring out Boone's Farm, and, and, and you guys are bringing out Screaming Eagle Cabernet Sauvignon. What's, what's going on that's all I know about wine and I googled it that's all I know <laughs> but that's the world's way really the world's way is how the, the party normally goes the world offers the best at first and then once you're hooked things only get worse and watered down But Jesus always offers the best and it's only going to continue to get better until one day we enjoy the final blessing of his eternal kingdom forever. That's why I can say with confidence that in Christ this can be our best year yet because we are being propelled as Christians to the greatest day that we will ever have and that is to be with him face to face. It gets better and better with him. This wasn't about keeping the party going. It was about doing something in his disciples' hearts and deepening their faith. This was a sign to deepen their faith in the Son of God. Jesus had come to bring about conversion, water to wine, stone to flesh, sinners to saints. And through both the supernatural power of this miracle and the imagery associated with it, the disciples' confessions of Jesus in the first chapter are now being confirmed. The sign causes them to see clearly the confession of their faith that they already made when they followed Jesus. Indeed, Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. He himself is the good wine that has been kept back until now. And here he is, the best. Verse 11, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. As I read that last part of the verse, the disciples believed in him. I'm not to number one yet, you could take that down. I wanna ask you this, does that strike you as odd? Does it strike you as odd that disciples believed in him? Are they not following him already? Haven't they made a decision that they are gonna leave their family, leave their friends, and they're gonna follow Jesus? Like, don't you believe you're already following him? And we got three people that are following. Why is it saying that now the disciples believed in him? And here's what I want to encourage you with today. There is a following belief and there is a finishing belief. I'll say it again. There is a believing that will start to follow and there is a believing that will stay to the end. I've seen a lot of startup belief but I desperately want to see some finishing belief. I've seen a lot of people start strong, but I haven't seen a lot of people finish. And in order for that to happen, in order for you and I, even for 2020 to be something that we don't just start, great, we came to church, we started off great, I was praying, I was fasting, and then by April, I'm done. Then We didn't just start. But in order for that to happen, we're going to need to have our hearts continually transformed from passive followers to faith-filled finishers. I have finished the race, Paul said. I have kept an ever-deepening faith in a faithful God. What problems are trying to cut you off from trusting in the extravagant, gracious, loving power of God in your life? So I'll close with some practical, proactive responses today that we see in the gospel, how we can respond. Number one, bring your problems to Jesus. Listen, church, if I could just tell you one thing today, bring your problems to Jesus. Isn't that what Mary said to do? Whatever he says, just do it. Hey, we got a problem here at this wedding. Jesus, could you intervene? She knew where to go for a miracle for a problem. The question is, is do we? Do we know to go to the miracle worker? Do we know to go to the promise keeper? And do we know to keep bringing things to him? Even when it doesn't actually turn out exactly like we think or we've asked, which leads me to number two we obey Jesus in the midst of our problems. We don't stop obeying Jesus because I've got problems. Well, you're obviously not coming through God like I asked, so I'm done. Listen to what Jesus says and continue to do it. Obedience is not based on our understanding of what God is doing, it is based on our trust in a loving Father. I trust you. Where else am I gonna go? You're a loving father. I don't understand all this, but I do trust you. Number three, participate with Jesus in the midst of your problems. I think so many times we ask Jesus to come through and then we're not willing to do anything. Look, look, Look what happens. Jesus was the one performing the miracle. However, the servants were part of the process. The servants had to go fill the water pots with water. Why didn't Jesus fill the pots with wine? Why was the water even needed? You ever think about that? Why why are we filling this up with water? Because I want you to be a part of the process here. I want you to be involved with what I'm doing. We don't have the answers to all these questions of why it went down the way it went down, but we do know that Jesus chose to perform the sign using the things that were there, stone jars, and using the people that were there, the servants. How is Jesus inviting you to participate in the work that he's doing in the earth today? How is Jesus inviting you to participate in the work that he's doing in your life and in the life of your family and in the life of your campus in the life of your job in the life of the places that you go? How's he inviting you to be a part of that process? A powerfully fulfilling his promise to fill the earth with his glory. We are not called to have a passive faith, but an active participatory faith where the works that we have prove we believe what we say we believe. This is not the time for apathy, church. This is the time for obedience and devotion and an ever-deepening faith. And then lastly, allow your problem to produce greater faith. Allow your problem to produce greater faith. When reading verse 11, we see something happen, as I said a moment ago, as a result of the sign. It says, the disciples believed. The question is, how is it that when the miracle took place, that's when the disciples believed? As I said a moment ago, there's a following belief and there's a finishing belief, but they were already disciples. I imagine for them to follow Jesus, it took a little bit of faith, a little. However, it seems that there are levels of belief that they had not reached to at this point. It is possible to be around Jesus and even a follower of Jesus and still not fully believe Jesus. However, instead of letting our problems push us away from Jesus and his church, what if we let our problems push us in deeper into a relationship with Jesus and his church? Maybe that the very problems that you're trying to avoid right now are the ones that God wants to use to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. In what ways is God trying to teach you to trust Him more? That's the question I want to ask. See, the miracle here is not just turning water into wine, but turning hearts that doubt into hearts that believe a little bit more believe more than they did before. It doesn't mean that they didn't believe. They believed to follow. And some of you that's where you are. You believed believed Jesus enough to begin to follow him but now there's some doubt in your life. Maybe he hasn't come through like you thought. Maybe last year was so tough on you you're wondering if he cares. Maybe you're not quite sure about what your future holds and you're beginning to doubt. But it may be that the problems that you're going right through right now is that God wants you to press into him, press into his church, press into his spirit and allow those problems to be an opening in your heart to deepen your faith in him what if your greatest problems can produce an opening in your heart for a deepening faith so i just ask you today as we start off a new year what are the problems that you're facing and do you trust jesus to deepen your faith in the middle of it i i I hesitate to say fix it But do you trust Jesus to deepen your faith in him and your love for him and your love for people in the middle of the problem that you're going through? This is what Jesus did in his first sign to the servants and to his disciples and to his mom, but basically those servants and the disciples in particular see deepened their faith as he showed them a little bit of his glory, of who he was, And maybe this week you're praying and you're fasting and you're just saying, God, I want this year to be different. And he shows you a little bit of himself and you believe him a little bit more than you did. Some of the doubt begins to dissipate. And then instead of going, well, that felt good. I'll see you next year. You come back tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day. And you spend time in his word and you spend time in prayer. You say, God, the problem's still there, but man, there's a peace right now that I have that surpasses understanding. The problem's still there, but man, there's a deepening faith that I trust you, God. No matter what my eyes see, I trust you. I'm praying today that we would have a deepening faith in 2023. I'm not asking for a lot of problems to do that, but I'm saying whatever problems you face or will face, it could be an opportunity as you trust God for him to deepen your faith in a faithful father. Amen. You have been listening to the Invokes Church Podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from. Visit invokeschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.